Hey everybody, welcome back to Contest Prep University, a frat house edition where Adam and I are going to chat a little bit about the topic of cardio and all of the details that go into try to decide if you're going to do low intensity, steady state, hits. I know is kind of lost its fervor a bit, but a lot of things to understand exactly what may do the best for you, for your goals, and, and especially how to implement it with your already probably pretty aggressive training schedule. So Adam, as I'm alluding to, pretty big topic. And I think a lot of people just almost too pedantically have a cliche answer. Well, here's how much you have to do. I mean, if you remember back in the day, you, you probably were at, at least the end of the era where everybody would do an hour of cardio fasted in the morning. That was just what everybody did. And then times change and all of a sudden a different influencer comes along and now everybody's doing Wingate sprints and then something else and then something else. So I, I think right now the current trend has moved away because the pendulum always swings from one extreme to the other, has moved away from high intensity intervals to everybody all of a sudden is rediscovering the value of just longer, low intensity state cardio, at least for part of their, their training, uh, just to burn a few extra calories. I know uh, at least one big coach who does a lot of videos, you know, talks about that. And so then everybody starts heading in that direction. So, so how do you break this down for your clients when you're trying to decide on an entire training regimen? Yeah. So it depends on what all I'm doing with a client. If I'm not doing their training, you do have to kind of ask, you know, how many times a week, like how intense is your training? They're usually logging what muscle groups they're training, but you do need that deeper dive in. Usually I'm at this crossroads where I think someone should be responding and maybe they're not. So are we doing too much? Are Those are always the questions. Are we doing too much or are we not recovering enough? Are we increasing time, but then intensity is lacking? There's so many questions that go through my head when I think about diving in with a client. Literally last week, I had two of my clients film a couple snippets of their cardio. I said, I want you to get about halfway through, set your phone to the side of the treadmill. I said, I just want to see how you do your cardio. The first girl I caught holding on. So <laughs> we, we nixed that right away. I knew that's why she wasn't losing. It's because, you know, on a treadmill, it can almost sweep your feet out from under you if you are hanging on. So you can almost do like some lazy cardio. So we kind of restructured everything. Let's take your hands off, but let's slow it down a bit so you can do it hands-free for the duration of time. And she started losing again. She had a really big drop. So there's a lot of other variables <laughs> that go into it versus just prescribing hit and steady state and you know, you're not going to be able to be there to watch everybody, but that biofeedback that you get on the weekly summary or however you check in with your clients can kind of point a coach in the right direction of what questions to ask versus, hey, let's just increase cardio because you're not losing and we just increased it last week. Something's going on. I think the biggest factor for most people watching us is going to be I want the most amount of fat loss. Obviously, I cannot let it impede my recovery from training. I don't want it to get in the way, you know, cardio soreness. And then all of a sudden I can't squat or deadlift as I need to. Uh, so there's always that maximization and efficiency 
just risk reward correlation. But at the same time, I want to just throw this out there as an aside and say, I'm also interested a lot in functionality. And I want, whether you're a general population client or, or you're a physique sport athlete, I certainly like to see some functional and high intensity type cardio, at least in small amounts, just to keep that level of athleticism and true cardiovascular health in place. And on that note, as you were describing your clients bracing on the, the rails of a treadmill, uh, the way cardiovascular health or endurance or output even works is you have muscle tissue that is going into oxygen debt. So you're increasing your heart rate, your body's contracting your diaphragm harder to get more oxygen in, and you don't have to do the same things all the time. Matter of fact, different cardio movements give you different results. So if you're just always on the treadmill, certain muscle groups are going to work. You're probably going to become more efficient at that. And then you can't burn as many calories or as much body fat. And then there's the closed kinetic chain thing. You get on a step mill or an arc trainer with a higher level of resistance and, and steeper incline. And, and that's going to have an impact. Uh, you'll probably find that on something like a bike, it takes a certain amount of effort to get your heart rate at a certain level. Uh, for example, you know, I can just crank up the intensity on a bike and just pedal my ass off and get to maybe 140, 150 beats per minute. I can walk on the highest incline possible at a good speed, can barely get my heart rate to 125. But on that arc trainer, a lot of resistance, a lot of steep, you know, step incline, and I can get my heart rate up to almost 200. But again, using different, you know, muscle groups a little bit differently guess what can get somebody there much, much faster using more muscle tissue all at one time. That's why functional fitness is what it is. You know, go, go do 20 burpees in a row, you know, do 20 burpees and then push a sled for hundred feet and then do some mountain climbers. And, you know, you create that kind of Tabata like circuit. And all of a sudden you can get your heart rate super high, very efficiently with low amounts of time and spread that force throughout different muscles and joints. So keep that in mind as you're trying to integrate low intensity, moderate intensity, high intensity, and still make sure you can recover. Absolutely. I remember in my prep, uh, twice a week, I'd get out and do the prowler sled. And I would usually think about having to do that all week because it was so horrible <laughs> to do. But, you know, it was quick and painful and then it was done for the day. So usually once I got it done, I would throw up and then, you know, I'd have to do it one more time that week. After a while, I stopped puking from it. Thank God. And uh, it still felt horrible, but not as horrible. And uh, I don't necessarily expect that from my clients. I think that's a little extreme, but it was a choice I made as an extreme athlete. And uh, some of my clients love to be pushed like that. But uh, I recently have been giving some of my clients functional days where it is a CrossFit-esque type workout, or maybe a barbell complex where they're, you know, doing, it's actually funny, because I used to do those things, and I got away from it. And uh, I kind of stopped using those tools because sometimes as a coach you feel forced to jump on the trends right because people start pointing the finger at you like you're the bad guy because you do hit you know and and sometimes I'm just like you know what I'm tired of arguing 
<laughs> and I'm tired of losing clients because so-and-so says this is wrong. And uh, here we are again, back in full circle. And, uh, you know, I think that's what we're always battling is the other sales tactic that's out there that's complete opposite of what we're doing. And some people say, hey, that sounds good. I'm going to do that instead. But I think like what you just said about you intuitively know what works better I think our clients do as well. So they may be guilty of, as you said, pointing the finger. Why aren't you having me do this? Every other coach is doing this. Why not me? And it, you, you just have to stick to what you know as a client. Talk to your coach about that because, you know, as, as you mentioned, higher intensity work using more muscle tissue to maximize that actual calorie need is huge. You just can't recover from that and do it all the time. So every time I feel like a client is stuck and we don't necessarily want to make a nutrition change and we have the margin on the cardio side, as soon as I ratchet up intensity, either in a session or frequency, you know, good things happen. I know personally, I just can't lose much body fat if I'm not doing higher intensity cardio. I can do moderate intensity, low intensity all day long. Nothing's going to happen until I start throwing out a couple sessions of, of sprints or the functional work like we described. And it's, it, it, it's so biochemical. You know, we've talked about this on our uh, podcast before, Adam, but when you do the absolute hardest, hardest, physically almost dangerous hit training, and I'm talking eight to 10 seconds on because you couldn't possibly do another second or take another step. If you're doing that hard of cardio, like sprints, back off for eight to 10 seconds. So it's like 10 seconds on, 10 seconds off. Studies show up to 1,400% increases in the catecholamine hormones, epinephrine, norepinephrine, that actually drive fat loss better than any other hormone. So everybody focuses on things like thyroid and insulin, glucagon. All those are great androgens to a much lesser extent. But those catecholamines are heat, they're everything for fat loss. And you get that kind of, of a bang for your buck with high intensity work. Again, you just can't do that every day because it's like a literal leg training session. So to, to factor a couple of those in your schedule, then a couple moderate sessions, moderate for me means heart rate, 130, 140. You know, you're definitely working, you're sweating. Maybe you only do those for 20 or 30 minutes. And then you can sprinkle in those lower intensity sessions, those 30 to 40 minute walks, heart rates, maybe 120, 110 to 120. You know, those aren't that taxing physically. You can do more of them. You can just get that extra couple hundred calories a day taken care of that way. But you definitely have to have those spots where you're, you're moving between some good, solid, moderate sessions. And then those one or two time a week hard sessions that are truly like an entire another workout. Absolutely. You're going to have some clients that have like more avoidance measures from that hard work, you know, and at the end of the day, you can't out science anything to make this easy. You know, there's always going to be the work ethic. And I think there are people who want to dig so deep in the research that they're like, what is the easiest way to make this happen? But that drive and dedication has to be there. Uh, at the other end, you know, I'm running into this problem with more elite clients that they just want to do more all the time. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of a good problem to have as long as they're willing to listen. 
but at the end of the day, you do want that recovery. So just like you said, you don't want to do those uh, sprints too, too often, but having a mix in maybe once or twice a week isn't a bad idea. Or it can be as simple as doing, uh, you know, some supersets in your training and stuff like that as well can be a good way to, you know, target the cardiovascular system while also getting some good intense training in. And I kind of like to think of that like macros too. You know, you have your compound lifts you're always going to be doing, but maybe some supersets and some things that are paired together to kind of keep your workouts interesting. And that doesn't make them any less effective at all. It's kind of like having your pre-workout Pop-Tart that you look forward to. You know, that, that is a really good point. I also, when I'm in fat loss mode, find that I sometimes forget I even have that option. So as you're saying, you've got supersets, you've got some higher intensity work within your, your, I'm sorry, your aerobic, no, anaerobic training, but, um, but you can also do some aerobic work in there. And, and I at least don't feel because I'm, I'm usually at a pretty high level of conditioning. I don't feel it impedes my actual training. So if I were all of a sudden mixing into my hypertrophy work, I probably wouldn't do this between heavy sets of deadlifts or squats, but in between my normal training, if I'm doing one set or even a super set, and then I'm doing 60 seconds of jump rope and then resting a little bit or just, I just add that one little bit to keep my heart rate up. I certainly do it with my, my general population clients for functional fitness. We're trying to really partner all the best tools of fitness together for maximization. Um, but, but another thing that you just said, a lot of people just kind of avoid it because it's harder or more painful. I think people avoid high intensity cardio also because it's just so easy to get on a treadmill or a bike, read a book, watch some YouTube videos. And you're thinking I'm, I'm kind of maybe even return email, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm maximizing my time, but then you're just kind of declining in that actual effort. And if you're doing a high intensity session, it's truly a workout that you have to focus on. I mean, you, you have to be there just for that. And I know in my best contest preps, I would always challenge myself with things like that, where I would go outside and run where I can't do anything but run. And I would, I would sometimes go to a track and I would even time myself. I, I would, I would try and improve my, my quarter mile times or my mile times, hundred meter sprints. I would go to football stadiums and run stairs and, and again, just those things that, that create some kind of athletic impetus that's also just going to be so much harder physiologically that you can't help but boost those catecholamine hormones and, and burn a lot more body fat per session. Yeah, for me, I did like inline speed skating for my cardio for the most part. So I'd go out on our bike trails and, you know, going up hills on skates is difficult. So um, as long as I ran the same course, you know, every week, I kind of had an idea on how fast I should finish a certain mile point by. And, uh, you know, that was one thing that was great about prepping with you. I was really surprised how flexible you were with what I did for cardio. And you said, as long as you're intense about it, you know, um, not going downhill, you know, for one one hour, <laughs> you yeah. know, you're good, you know? Well, I, th I think it's, we probably have to at least 
put in this podcast somewhere that we are not advocates of one thing or another. These are all tools in your tool belt. They're all helpful and necessary. It's a matter of how and when. And it reminds me, because I, I can just hear people right now thinking, how are they possibly such advocates for high-intensity training? Uh, I even on, on you know, shitty YouTube um, you know, advertisements, I, there, there's a couple of people out there who are saying like, you, if you do hard cardio, you're just burning carbohydrates and then they go into whatever they're trying to sell and taking that little nugget of truth that with high intensity work, yes, you use blood sugar first. Yes. You use some muscle glycogen, but you're burning such a higher amount of calories and you're quickly getting into body fat burning with that, that extends as we've talked about hormonally for hours increases your VO2 max. So you're, you're using body fat even more, you know, at rest. So that is always going to still be a, a huge part, no matter what you hear other people say. So that has to be there in my opinion, but then you also have the other end of the continuum, which is staying just super active. You know, how many times have we talked about NEAT, non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which is you know, are you standing? Are you getting up? Are you just throughout the day keeping a normal activity of daily living type repertoire where you're just not completely melting into a couch all day because you're fatigued and depleted? You know, every, I mean, you have to consider that entire continuum from, from neat to the highest exercise induced activity and everything in between. Where can I fit this in? Why am I doing it? How much? How intense? How's my recovery? How do I schedule it to make sure it all fits together? Absolutely. And these are the questions that we get in our daily Zoom chats all the time on our team. We talk about cardio a lot. And then when other people hear about the cardio that they're doing, other people become interested in just doing something different. So it's not even that there's something magical about you know, what we're doing, but some people just want something a little bit different with their training and programming. I've had a few people do swimming. And to me, that seems to be for steady state. That's one of my favorite is treading water because as your body weight gets lighter, you sink more. <laughs> so it almost seems to be the one cardio that you can't adapt to. Kind of like when we talked about on a few episodes, the guy who wore the weighted vest during his walks. I feel like swimming has a very similar, um, and that's why I was so interested in that study because I never even thought to wear a weighted vest for every pound you lost during cardio. But that's a freaking great idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he, it's Eric Salazar and uh, his coach, James Kreider. I think they're, or yeah, Kreider, Krieger. Um, I think I'm conflating two names. Uh, I think they're even extending that a little bit. I mean, that was probably just kind of an anecdotal case study. And I, I think, um, you know, they're really trying to put something behind that. But uh, you bring up a point, Adam, in that there's, there's all the cardio. You get these questions from clients. And one of the things I think that people don't often talk about is, is how to nutritionally support cardio, because uh, a lot of people would instantly think, you know, fasted may be better. Um, and a lot of people from 10, 15 years ago got so far on the train against that, that they almost mock it and make it seem like that's not even an option. 
you know, eating carbs after protein, after protein and carbs, what should you do? And I'll, I'll start this. Cause I know, I, I know, you know, the answers. And so I'm going to, I'm going to kind of tee you up with a softball here. Um, depending on whether you do cardio in the morning, first thing, or maybe it's in the afternoon or evening, you know, there you're in a different state and there, there are probably different ways you can manage this that are good, better, and best. You know, you, you have to make sure that you're fitting into what's going to work for the nutrition status for the rest of your day, you know, where you're going to eat your meals, put your macros, but, uh, but if I'm your client and I say, Hey, coach Adam, I'm going to get up and I'm going to do cardio kind of low intensity state first thing in the morning for 45 minutes. And then a couple of times a week in the afternoon, I'm going to do my high intensity sessions here. Tell me what I should do pre and post cardio with my food. Yeah. If you know, you don't want such a large gut load that it affects performance. So I'm okay with my people doing fasted if they prefer it. Or if they're taking a supplement that must be used in the presence of low insulin levels. So maybe a Yohimba and HCL. And uh, there seems to be research that uh, growth hormone, um, certain types of growth hormones must be used fasted for additional fat loss. So in those cases, you know, you definitely want to applaud the fasted cardio. But in a general setting, it doesn't matter too much to me, aside from I do prefer they at least eat something smaller because they'll increase their VO2 max just a little bit. And they'll also have a faster heart rate by eating a little bit. Also, my other thing with that is when you have people who are maybe not doing their cardio in a gym, if they're out on a trail or something and their blood sugar drops, that's not a good thing either. So mm-hmm. you, that's a possibility with fasted cardio versus fed that I kind of like to avoid with people if I can. So, um, you know, I usually do preach like a, a carb and a fat pre, um, maybe a BCAA or some kind of amino acid. Cause if you have a protein shake prior, it's likely not going to digest that well. Um, Cause you're probably getting up boom. And there you are five minutes later in the gym. So I usually keep the protein lower for, for that session. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you made me think, especially because you said you're okay with fasted, but here are the times or the reasons you may want to have a little bit of food. Um, I, I look at it purely physiologically. And there are two things to understand what the physical demands are of that session. What are they going to be? And then how conditioned are you for it? Because when you say you could get hypoglycemic, that's incredibly common. But as you get in better condition, blood glucose disposal rates improve. You, the, the quicker you get into lipolysis, like that's a mechanism of action that you become more fat adapted to do. So you could feel that way now. And that's your indication that maybe you went a little too far. Maybe your, your heart rate was too high, but give yourself time. And even in that fasted state, you may get better and better and better. So I would simply read that as, okay, you know, maybe I just need to tamp down the, the duration or the intensity a little bit. But maybe if my goal is body fat loss in its low intensity state, maybe that is the time to suffer a little bit with those conditions. But if I'm doing high intensity work 
And we already talked about how aggressive that should be and that it is physically just like a workout. I better be fed for that just like a real training session because as you said, your exercise output, your heart rate, your VO2 max, everything scales up just completely correlationally to how much nutrition you have to support that. So you can get into that, that sprint session, you're doing high intensity uh, intervals of some sort, and you just feel like death, you're dragging, perhaps risking injury. Had you just had 20 or 25 grams of carbs, a little goes such a long way when you're in a calorie deficit and you're already accustomed to that. So I would just say play around with what you need for the task at hand, because whatever amount of food you give yourself, you're probably going to get so much more output from that, that even if it's barely just a net positive, you know, those 20 extra grams of carbs you used, you know, 80 calories, let's say that helped you burn 80 extra calories than you would have. That's a net zero, but you had a way better cardio session. You're probably going to see that growth hormone level, those norepinephrine, epinephrine levels go up higher. So you'll still end up burning body fat longer. You'll increase your conditioning so that you're actually functionally improving better. So always still, even with cardio, eat per the, the context and just monitor that and see how close to that line you can be where you're giving yourself just exactly what you need to, to be at your best. That's a good point. You also never hear of anyone doing fasted hit, you know, or hopefully not. Hopefully not, exactly. But, but that's a that's a really good point that you know the the context of what you're doing, and I would hope no one goes in and does hit fasted. But that's an excellent question. Mm -hmm. and, and even so, an, another thing is you're you're probably going to induce a lot of hunger from cardio. I mean, the harder cardio you do hungrier you're going to be. And a lot of people try to gut that out and they think I'm just not going to eat afterwards because I want to extend that body fat loss window. Man, you can just compound hunger so much that even if you're not getting that hypoglycemic state in cardio, you can get it later, you know, 60, 90 minutes later when you, you've just tried to fast post high intensity cardio. And all of a sudden you find yourself tail spinning into a binge because you're just so hungry and you just can't seem to get out of it. So maybe it is better for you to have that post high intensity cardio meal, just like you would have a post training meal. Mm -hmm. For me and everyone's different. I'm not hungry after cardiovascular activity, at least initially, but if I don't eat, the hunger that I experience two hours later is insane. So for me, usually a protein only post-workout for recovery works really well. Um, I typically just can't seem to stomach the carbs. And I notice a lot of my clients are that way. If they really try to force that post-workout meal or say they're with a coach who's like, you must eat this amount of carbs post-workout. They start having really bad bouts of diarrhea. And it's like, do you even need to be eating that many carbs post-workout? Anyhow, um, you can do a smaller amount, probably digest it better, and then maybe have a bigger meal later. And yeah, if you if you don't feel like you need those, those nutrients post-cardio, or as you said, you may have worked so hard, you feel a little nauseous if you do eat, I mean, certainly titrate that out, you know, you know, do it 30, 60 minutes later, or do something very small, a serving of branch chain aminos can 
serve to be just as anti-catabolic as a serving of, of whey protein, for example. Um, I always like to remind people that post-training or post-cardio, protein alone is going to really stop catabolism pretty effectively. The addition of carbs starts to increase anabolism. So again, depending on your status, how lean you are, how far you have to go, the pace that you need to be at for body fat loss per week, you know, factor those things in because if you can afford the carbs post-workout or post high intensity training, you know, cardio, then, you know, maybe that is a good spend for you. For other people, you may need to ride that line a little bit closer to the edge. Absolutely. I think that we covered a lot of great things there. Um, one other thing that I was, you know, kind of thinking about too, is just really monitoring that intensity as you go. And if you're switching up your cardio a lot, sometimes it's hard to find a groove. Um, if you catch heart rate in that snippet of time, it's useful. Like if you're transitioning from maybe swimming to biking, maybe try to match that heart rate that you were doing when you were swimming. But then that's only going to work for a snippet of time because as you get in better shape, that heart rate's probably going to come down with just as much effort. So, you know, those are things, conversations that you can have with your clients. Nothing's really set in stone with this. And that's, that's what's so fascinating about this is the more and more I coach, the more complex this becomes, you know, and uh, we, we dig into things that, you know, back in 2011, you know, you just gave people cardio and that's what it was, Yeah, you know, I think we were all that way, you know, even with, we, we stress things, but maybe not as much as we do now, but our industry is just that competitive. The level of conditioning is really that much greater than it was back in 10 years ago. And it really does come down to some of those very small variables. But at the end of the day, you also do have to preach some kind of flexibility um, keep clients engaged, keep clients enjoying this as much as possible and be open to change, be open to have that risk to say, Hey, maybe, maybe swimming's the best cardio for me, but I really like biking better. So just monitor that initial change. So you can do something that you enjoy without sacrificing the result. Yeah. You bookended that. Well, it has to be flexible. It has to be something you enjoy. Perhaps you physically, because you're training around injuries, have to manage that. But starting with what you said there, Adam, and I'll, I'll end with this. Uh, anybody who's serious about their fitness probably wants the greatest tech advantage they can have. So I'm not sure there are too many people who don't have some kind of a wearable device. And when you start looking at those metrics week to week, we, we talk about this with nutrition a lot. Don't just look at daily metrics as I, I did well that day, or I failed that day. Look at your week, look at, look at total calories in a week, total grams of carbs in a week, total fat loss for a month. You know, look at those longer term things. You can do that with, with these wearable devices. You can see comparing week to week, you know, how much high intensity work you did. What was your average heart rate for this amount of time? So that's where you can really probably start to analyze what's going to work better for you. So great notes to end on, Adam, as always. And for you guys who are watching and listening, thanks. And we will see you next time in Contest Prep University.